This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Heath Williams, an osteopath and director of Corporate Work Health Australia, a provider of corporate health, safety and wellness advice and services. Heath shares his journey to date covering becoming a qualified osteopath and lecturing on topics covering exercise rehabilitation, ergonomics and clinical education. Whilst Heath also operates an osteopathy clinic and supports other allied health practitioners with their professional development, today we focus on his corporate work health advisory business and his vision. Since 2020, the concept of the workplace has diversified to include remote working environments such as home offices and in terms of healthcare workforces working itinerantly, other people's homes. Given workplace injuries is a problem for Australia costing well in excess of $61 billion a year, it's just a matter of time before most employers transcend regulatory compliance and start to proactively support employee health and wellness. Imagine a workplace that actively invests in team members' mental, physical and nutritional health and wellness in a preventative way. What would the world look like? What would our attitudes be toward employers who not only paid for our time, but facilitated a better physical and mental health version of ourselves over the course of our employment. And imagine how that would benefit our relationships, families, communities, and society. Let's jump in. All righty. Well, hey there, Heath. How are you doing today? Yeah, great. Thanks, Yanni. Thanks very much for having me on. Looking forward to speaking with you, especially given the year of 2020 and now moving into 2021. It's been a lot of change that's impacted Allied Health. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your good self and the journey you've been on that brings you to this point. I'm an osteopath by profession, uh, having graduated from here in Melbourne in 2003. I first started off my career working up in the country in a small town called Kyabram, which is where I grew up and started a small business there, where I did that for a couple of years before getting the travel bug and moving overseas for a good four years, which is pretty much where I suppose I started to grow as a practitioner in terms of, say, my philosophies, my working with clients and then seeing the opportunities within the profession itself, be it teaching, be it the corporate space, be it private clinical practice. Upon returning back in Melbourne, sort of around 2009, I started working for a few businesses again and then 2010 sort of thought, okay, now's the time to really create the business that I want to really work in and sort of taking all my learnings from that sort of prior seven years and trying to create this idea of what what I perceive as, you know, the ideal clinical practice. So I started that then. And then shortly after that, I started up a corporate arm called Corporate Work Health Australia with physiotherapist Wade Brennan, um, which is known as Corporate Work Health Australia. And that sort of stemmed from uh, us working together in the UK and seeing how us as allied health practitioners could really help sort of clients in a array of different industries, be it manual handling, ergonomics, be it return to work, etc. And we thought, okay, this is probably an area that allied health practitioners in Australia not really having a strong influence in. And I wanted to sort of 
bring osteopaths and physios into the forefront of being able to work with clients in this setting because I feel like us as practitioners have a lot to be able to bring and give to businesses. So that's sort of probably where things have really started kicking off around 2010-11 in terms of the clinical practice and the corporate arm and then naturally grown within those businesses year by year. We've evolved our service offerings and we're really sort of working and evolving ourselves in terms of working across a variety of business settings all over Australia and we're bringing in lots of practitioners from different states and cities uh, to be a part of that with us. So it's been great because we've got to learn a lot by working with businesses, learn a lot by working with other practitioners, and then also get to deal with the individual or the person within a business, but also stepping back and seeing that sort of bigger corporate sort of setting and understanding how that system as a beast in its own right operates and where we can fit in and where we can sort of step into problem solve some of the issues that they might be dealing with. Some of the problems that they're dealing with, what are probably the top two or three that you could name for us? We're largely focused around ergonomics and manual handling and we're very much either the preventative aspect of let's try and look after the person in terms of their well-being, optimise the process in terms of how they can operate as an individual at their workstation, for example, or looking more broadly at the system or the reactive side of it. So we've got a person with uh, a complaint. Can you come in and problem solve for this person? Or we've got numerous people having these issues. We need to look at how we can minimise the likelihood of having a going injuries in this space because it's costing us because it's affecting our people and it's also affecting our bottom line in terms of costs and stuff so I suppose the the biggest issues are going to be around the preventative side of things. How do we get in and implement a preventative strategy within that business to try and have a good uptake within that business and then there's a reactive side of it. So how do we obviously help that individual in their particular circumstance but then how do we sort of also then look at the bigger picture of that business to determine, okay, moving forward, what do we need to do as a business to minimise repeat issues that we've been sort of experiencing over the last few years? Because I suppose when it comes to the worker, we want people to be happy. We want people to be productive. We want people to feel engaged. We want people to become leaders in their own right and therefore moving forward. So we need to be thinking about how do we support them. And then we've got those people that have got injuries or aches and pains, how do we deal with them and then how do we affect that in a positive way moving forward? So they're probably the two key areas we work within and often the challenges I suppose that a business might experience is that they don't know where to start and so they might have an idea, just come in and solve this problem for us and yet uh, when we step in we see that it's often maybe potentially bigger than that or it might be we want to take on this preventative wellness approach but we don't know again where to start or we're not sure what our workers need. So it's often from a business perspective, the business is not quite sure where to start at times. And so they'll ask us to come in and help out in that process and just see if we can be part of that consultation process to improve that for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, point, Heath. I remember earlier in Core Plus's career, we had a new team member start and within three days of starting, he uh, he was reporting that he had a back pain. It was a first-time experience for me to actually have a team member who had some kind of healthcare issue that was associated with the workplace. To have somebody there to be able to leverage that experience, to not feel as though it's your fault or there's something wrong with the way that you set up or, you know, kind of be able to navigate through that, I think would be incredibly valuable. By the time we actually got through that experience, we were working with a health provider who was offering some advice. And it turns out that that person did have a prior history 
with their healthcare that really, really early days of their childhood. But nevertheless, they were in our workplace now. And as a result, they were now our responsibility. You know, that's probably something that a lot of people in business don't realise, that you do have a level of responsibility for the health and wellness of your team. Is that a sort of a common story? Do you, do you come up against that quite regularly? Yeah, very much so. That's probably a common situation when we were asked to come in and just provide some advice. So lots of businesses may not have some type of OC health system and we will help a business create a system or if they have that system, we can step into aspects of that system. So what have you done in terms of an ergonomic assessment for that person? What have you done in terms of, say, training and provision of equipment and that sort of stuff? So we might help them through that process. And then what we might also do then is, is obviously spend some one-on-one time with the worker and try and assist them but also you as a business owner talk you through that process of what you guys can do as a business to just ensure that everyone's seen well looked after has the right equipment many times the business has everything that's really well set up and sometimes things just happen for a reason in the sense of uh, people hurt themselves maybe outside of work and and we as a business need to better support that person we need to take that duty on because ultimately a happy comfortable worker is going to be more productive rather than perhaps taking the other approach and saying, well, okay, that's not a work-related injury. I'm not going to deal with that as a business. And that's probably where that whole cultural approach within a business differs a little bit. But we're seeing a lot more of a shift in terms of businesses really taking on that positive cultural approach to looking after their worker. And with COVID last year, you see that happening even more now and this need to pivot and adapt in terms of how they previously worked with their worker, support their worker and that sort of stuff. And so we're probably going to see this year too with this hybrid work model that's needing to be adopted how do we uh, as a business and a worker sort of work together to be both happy within that system and I think that's probably going to be something that evolves rather than this is black and white this is how it is have you have you encountered that kind of breakthrough moment I guess in leadership yeah, definitely. I see that happen all the time with businesses we're working with. People feel supported in that situation that you just described. Through actions and behaviour, the focus is not to have that outcome, but the outcome being that they feel supported and they're happy. Often it's just sometimes face-to-face time or it's this sort of showing care and there's different ways of showing care. It could be buying equipment, could be spending time, could be being a bit more flexible and showing autonomy or giving that person autonomy and that sort of stuff. So we really need to, I suppose, understand that person and what brings them and then obviously how do we support that person to be the best version that they can be so that they can be focused on what they want to do and I definitely see that a lot in different businesses that we work with and those that sort of foster those sorts of approaches with their workers get the best outcomes because people are happy and they're driven and they're motivated and they're willing to work for the business with others in a team approach. Absolutely. Just indicatively, would you have a sense of what the cost is on the Australian economy in terms of workplace uh, injuries? I know, like, and again, so don't quote me because this stuff changes regularly, but I think, and this differs between a physical injury and a mental health and wellbeing injury, so I largely work in that physical space. But I think the average cost of a person who's off work could be somewhere between five and $7,000. That's a work cover injury. And so when we talk about work coverage, you've got that person being impacted when all the costs attributed to them. You've got the business needs and the cost to replace that person, to cover that person and all of that sort of stuff. So the cost is big. And if we're thinking at it in a dollar value cost, there's that. But we've also got to think about the individual cost and then the team morale cost. And what we know statistically is that the longer the person's off and out of a workplace environment, then the likelihood of that person returning back to meaningful work is a lot less. And so our goal should 
should be when it comes to work injuries and this sort of stuff is trying to get that person back into some meaningful type of work within their business so they're feeling part of that team and doing stuff that gives them meaning gives them structure and value and that sort of stuff to have a better outcome because if we push them off to the side and just sign them off for two weeks and not have them in the workplace at all then what we know is that has a negative effect on that person and then their broader life and then also the business itself. I was looking over the Safe Work Australia statistics around it and it was uh, reporting just to your point there that it was something like 77% of work-related injuries, disease costs are borne by the workers individually. And so, you know, that goes to that point that there's a cost to the employer, there's a cost to the workplace and there's a cost to the individual that in aggregate is is a really big impact on everybody involved. It's definitely a very strong business case, I guess, in short, to actually try and prevent these types of injuries happening. And just training, I guess, or helping um, employers have workplaces that do promote good health. Yeah. The difficult or the challenging thing is is to sell prevention because there's a cost attached to prevention. And I suppose you're saying that if you implement these programs and these strategies, you're likely to save this amount. People don't see the save amount. They just see the cost amount that you provide to them. And so that can be quite tricky depending on where that business is at within their I suppose phase of growth and their focus point on well-being some are very much well okay we're we're going to allocate this percentage of money to you know work on well-being and then others are very much we don't have any budget for that so we'll just reactively deal with stuff and those that work on that prevention model I think definitely see the benefits in individual level and an aggregate level that you're sort of talking about. I think investing in your team members health and wellness is probably one of the best, if not the best, uses of your investment capital because that's where most of your value is generated. You know, some businesses operate with a lot of machinery and equipment and they probably think that that's the most important expense on their P&L. And also, you know, there's a lot of relationships that build in the workplace as well that extend beyond, the, you know, the office hours. They, they become personal relationships and there's a lot of shared stories and shared experiences that are discussed after hours. So, if an employee is having a tough time with their health in the workplace and the workplace has some responsibility to look after that person, they're not going as far as they should, that's going to circle back through the grapevine and it's going to yeah. diminish morale and, and you know bring the overall I guess, energy of the team towards the employer down. I suppose you've got to evolve and, as you say, uh, businesses are people and people are pretty much everything when it comes to this and it's all about our relationships and without that, we've got nothing. Absolutely. So let's talk about the concept of the workplace. So given 2020 and now into 2021, the workplace has changed. The environment of the workplace has changed. We've got a lot more people working from home. What are you seeing that beyond lockdowns that... The distributed workforce is is uh, growing as an idea. Yes, definitely. Like if I take Australia wide, we're seeing more people working from home. I think that's going to be regional based though. So obviously you and I are based in Melbourne and so we've had a longer lockdown and people have been working from home for a longer period of time because they've been forced to. Whereas if we look at some of our other customers in say the likes of New South Wales and Queensland and WA and that sort of stuff, you've got a lot more of the the workforce percentage back in the office because they've been operating a bit more differently than we have here. 
But what I'm seeing is that with my clinical practice in the CBD and all of our clients that we typically have in the CBD, the vast majority are working from home at present. There will be some return to work aspect for some people. I've got workers that want to be back at work. We're going to see some businesses also want some individuals back in work because of the way that their job operates and the way that they work and flow. I think working from home has been great uh, in the sense of it's given people the opportunity to work from home that may never have had that before. Some businesses, say banks and that, were already in that hybrid model and then other industries, say take it a law firm, an accounting firm or retail type of operation, probably were very much office-centric in the way they operated. So it's probably forced change quickly within those businesses and said, okay, you've got to work from home and they've now proven that they can work from home. And you've got individuals who are sort of saying, I prefer to work from home because I'm reducing travel time and this stuff. I like the autonomy and that. So I think there'll be a blended approach. I think from my visibility on it, there'll be a mix of people in the office and at home. There might be some jobs where people need to be in the office all the time, and we see that already in certain industries. And then there'll be some where they don't need to be in the office at all and they can work remotely. There's probably pros and cons to both in terms of, I suppose, if you work remotely, if you're managing people, that you've got different challenges there and you've got different challenges of having people stay connected and you've got this format of Zoom and webcam and this sort of stuff which some people love and then other people don't but then you've got the the, the more broader health and well-being factors that we need to consider. So I think there'll be a mix of both and I think businesses that evolve and adapt and offer that to their workers and don't try and force one or, or the other system on, on that person will probably find that they will be able to attract better people to their business. Those that will force one type of approach on everyone will probably struggle a little bit, I think, from an individual level. We have had the hybrid experience, and so our industry is quite used to it. There's a lot of software companies that operate in this manner. A lot of those types of office-bound roles definitely have clerical, administrative support, things of that nature, definitely have taken up the hybrid approach. But we're also seeing some things that I've noticed. Uh, We advertise a new uh, role just towards the end of last year, fully remote role. And we had over 4,700 applicants. And to put that in perspective, I don't think I've ever seen more than uh, six or 700 applicants for roles that were office roles uh, in our history to date. And, you know, we're, we're an Australian company, Australian employer. Remote work, it's got some managerial challenges. But when, you th- when I think about ergonomics and I think about workplace, there's a new environment to kind of take care of and to think about. You know, when, when you had an office as an employer, you had the office before you. You were in it all day, every day. You could see what the environment was like. You could quickly address things that weren't quite right. You know, a piece of carpet that got loose or, you know, there was a heavy rain period and a little bit of water leached through the, the ceiling tile or something like that. You know, there were things that you can respond to very quickly. But when you're dealing now with a distributed workforce, you've got all these micro-environments, micro-workplace environments never put any quality control into, you've never put any any quality system in place. They've basically been decisions that employees have made. Yes. What sort of a role is that playing in your uh, advisory approach? What are you saying there? Yeah, so like that's been a big part of what we spent 2020 doing from March onwards. So you've got businesses who had these systems in place for, in the office and within the space of a week, everyone's at home. And it was just go home and survive and just get your job done. And their priority at that point in time was, do our service work and can we connect to the internet and have the business operating? And so that probably became a large focus early on. And then probably a month or two in or three months in as they've started to realise actually, hang on, this is not 
looking like it's a one or two month thing, they've started to have to evaluate their own internal OHS systems. And that differs for every business. And that probably comes down to what's your risk appetite for as a business. So some might be along the lines of you guys just keep operating at home, you're responsible for yourselves. And then others very much, okay, we're going to have everyone complete a self-assessment form and have a formal virtual consultation with someone like me in the home environment to check off that one, they've got the appropriate tools, they've got the appropriate environment, and just also thinking more broadly around their general health and wellbeing, that they're in a safe environment that they feel comfortable to work in with follow-up sort of consultation sort of, you know, one month or three months afterwards to make sure that everything's going okay. So we're talking about the physical stuff a lot there, but then we've also got to think about mental health and wellbeing and the cognitive demands uh, and organisational demands that are put onto that person from working from home. And I suppose some businesses have been very much touching base regularly with their workforce to make sure that they're feeling safe and comfortable and happy to be at home and that sort of stuff and their energy levels are going good. And then others are probably maybe not focus so much on that. We've seen some people thrive in the silo operating from home environment and other people have struggled at times. And so I think the businesses do things really well are those ones that obviously check all the physical stuff but are also checking in regularly around the psychological side of things too and providing that support for that worker and trying to obviously create community and culture that you would have normally in a face-to-face office environment. So the ones that do it well do all of it and some of those have been planning and preventative in their approach and then others have been reactive. So it just if you're not thinking about that stuff as a business, then you need to be. If you notice that there's gaps within your situation within those aspects that I've talked about there, then I think that's probably something that people should be looking at implementing this year and then over the coming sort of months and this year. We operate our remote teams in a very similar fashion. There's a budget for the workstation we check in regularly. We also provide healthy snacks and healthy foods on a uh, recurring basis to our team members so that we really, we create that virtual connection, even though we're all in different locations and lots of check-ins and even some scheduled meetups for people to get together. You've encouraged your team to come up and problem solve rather than the owner saying, this is how it's done. So you've got that collaborative approach. And I think that collaborative approach works best because those people embrace it and they they often, some people really get excited and take that on. Yeah. Um, and then others, others are happy to follow on, but they're the best, they're, that's the best type of approach you can take. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. It's really good. If somebody's sort of bringing up a suggestion and saying, it'd be nice if we did something like this, what I like to do is empower that person to then take the lead on it you know, give them a budget and get them to drive that that reform or that change and they take ownership over it and that's part of that engagement process. So I think I would absolutely 100% agree. With uh, your particular expertise, uh, Heath, as, a, as an osteopath, how are you finding the remote osteopathy? What have you done about that and how is that evolving as well? We offer both services, so telehealth and face-to-face. I think telehealth has worked really well for certain situations. So if you've got a patient who is needing some general advice and a bit of screening to ensure that there's nothing sort of super nasty going on, so some pain management advice has been really helpful for those clients. But I suppose where we've really focused our telehealth approaches with those clients, which is our 
business approach anyway, is in that exercise prescription strength and conditioning approach. So we're very active in our interventions with our clients in the CBD. And so we've been able to transition quite well from face-to-face to obviously assessing and prescribing remotely. And then the same thing with the ergonomic side of it. So not doing face-to-face, but doing things remotely. Those two approaches have transitioned really well. Where I suppose it can be a challenge is that sometimes we need to be able to see, touch and feel with our patients. And for some of those patients, if we're noticing that things are progressing appropriately according to our working diagnosis and prognosis, then that's maybe where a face-to-face might be more appropriate. So it's been a good way to at least triage in that sort of COVID stage when things are obviously a bit more stressful. We've been able to still help the person, but then we've also been able to minimise the risk, I suppose, of the COVID aspect. But moving forward, telehealth, I think, has enabled us to consult with patients all over Australia. So luckily, uh, I've got patients who spend half their time here, half their time in WA and that sort of stuff. So previously, it was a matter of, okay, you're now in WA, I won't see you to your return. But now we have allocated times where we do stuff so it just means better continuity of care for our clients and it just means that they're, we're able to check in and make sure they're progressing appropriately rather than stagnating or actually regressing in their well-being. So it's been a quick evolution. We've had to learn and adopt and adapt really quickly as practitioners and create systems that we think are robust and provide a service that we think has value and is meaningful for that person that also meets all the broader registration requirements and insurance requirements and that sort of stuff. It's here to stay and in some situations it's going to be more appropriate than face-to-face at times. It will just be person-specific, I think. What excites me more, though, because I see telehealth, and and this might might raise my eyebrows, but I see telehealth as, in terms of the the general understanding of it, as being video, voice, chat. I think it, as, as a concept, that's really good, but it's a subset of digital health as, as an idea where we can actually then move uh, things like the, the intake process, the initial assessment goals and, and the ongoing adherence strategies that are getting a person from where they are to where they, they aspire to be. Those kinds of tools, the digital health tools and the toolkit that various allied health practitioners can use is fast evolving at the moment as well. And I think we're going to see sooner rather than later, this kind of enhancement now to the video call where there are going to be these other clinical tools that are made available in a digital context as well. From an osteo standpoint, what do you see as missing at the moment? You know, uh, you talk about exercise prescriptions, for example. So that's, that's kind of in play. We're aware that those kind of products exist, but what does physical need or what does osteo need in order to to take it to the next level as far as telehealth is concerned or digital health? Yeah, I suppose things that you've sort of tapped on there already a little bit, lots of businesses are probably already adopting some version of a patient intake form, maybe some outcome measures that are directly linked through to your digital system and and web-based system. And then you've also got this ability to, I suppose, if we could capture that video consultation and be able to capture aspects of that to then be able to send out bites of that MP3 file to the patient if we're to keep prescribing exercise, that might be a nice way to obviously evolve that type of stuff. 
take screenshots and then put that into reports and, and this sort of stuff. So I suppose it's just being able to how do we capture more of what we do in this regard and then use that within our education aspect for our client but also our record keeping. That will be really helpful. I think that's probably where I see potentially some gaps at the moment. But as the systems, as you say, evolve, that will be a big game changer. And then probably just drawing upon more of the things that we would use day to day. If it is outcome measures, how does that interlink into the system that I'm using rather than having an independent system here yeah. and an independent system here? They need to work together better. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that's kind of the holy grail of digital health. It's once we actually achieve interoperability, it's a, it's a bit of a geeky term, but it's basically just saying exactly what you just said there, that we, we can't have all these siloed pieces of healthcare information that a clinician needs in order to support this person towards their the outcomes they're looking for. Having that all integrated seamlessly, securely, confidentially, and, you know, in language and information that is meaningful clinically as well, I think is essential for the way that digital health is going to uh, to move forward. It's early days, but there's some really interesting ideas where you kind of think this could be a really great way dynamically in the moment to help a person to retrain their movement uh, so that it is helping with the outcome that they're looking for and doing it in a way that's intuitive. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I like the idea of, I suppose, that's just a different way of giving feedback. So traditionally face-to-face, you've got your visual uh, auditory and tactile feedback but if we're doing via video we take away that tactile feedback um, and we rely a lot on either the visual or the the talking side of it and so for some people depending on the type of learner they are that might or the way the person as a practitioner is delivering the message i suppose the more different types of ways that we can offer feedback that maybe connects in with how that person might better respond to it the better this type of approach that we've done that's forced a lot of practitioners, myself included, to change the narrative and how I'm describing things and how I'm asking them to do things. Uh, I've had to really change that up versus when we do face-to-face, so that's an evolution. For some people, they just don't respond well to auditory or visual stuff and maybe watching videos, as you say, because they don't engage in it. If that's a gamification way of engaging with it or some way of giving them a a green, red, and there's probably debate around, like, what is a perfect movement and how do we deem what's red and what's green? Obviously, anything that enables a way of providing feedback for that person to get a better outcome that's helpful for them, I would say is a good thing. You were talking earlier about the mental health impact on uh, people in the workplace as well. And how are you seeing the collaboration between the osteo sector or other physical therapies and and the mental health sector? Is is that happening or is that sort of a radical idea at this point in time? I don't know what the right term for it is. No, I think it does happen. It's just, I suppose, like any interprofessional relationship, there's going to be some practitioners who are very much adopting that all the time in their approach and their philosophy, bringing people in and creating a team around that for that person because that's what they deem best. And then there's other people that operate in silos who don't necessarily outsource for better help in that regard. So it does occur and I'm definitely an advocate for it. When it comes to mental health, though, I suppose allied health being physical therapists, osteopaths, physios, we're dealing with the psychosocial components. It's probably building confidence in that practitioner knowing where their scope of practice lies and when they should be referring out and finding good practitioners to refer out to. Like I'm lucky enough, uh, you've had a guest on here before, Kay Franken. I've touched base with her regularly because she 
someone who I respect and trust and know that in that space she's a leader and she can provide me sound advice uh, for, for my patients or how I might be able to refer that patient off and that sort of stuff. And I think it's all about relationships and people, as we talked about before, that needs to be fostered better uh, and that probably needs to be maybe educated more into those practitioners and when they need to outsource or even back to the GP because they're difficult conversations to have, aren't they? Bringing up conversations around how you're feeling and what's going on. And so people feel very comfortable about saying you've got a sore shoulder and there's pain there, but when it comes to oh, you're a bit flat today and how you're feeling and this sort of stuff, often people are not sure how to deal with that with that person. Over the last five years, we're definitely seeing more practitioners adopt that approach of taking that on board and helping integrate more collaborative ways of dealing with people because we know as a person it's not just the sore shoulder, it's also the bigger health and wellbeing stuff. And obviously Medicare supporting that with more mental health plans here in Australia. There's a lot more conversation going on in mainstream media. There's a lot more conversation going on within the profession. So I think it's just something that we need to keep having conversations about, keep obviously building and focusing on and having those relationships develop so that we can help our patient with the patient being our number one focus. They're early days, but because I think the culture has to move in in that direction as well, where the concept of a referral, you know, typically when you when you talk referrals in the industry, it's it's it usually is associated with a, with a GP providing a referral out, and you know that obviously stands to reason for why that is. But if somebody starts the journey in the workplace with an with an osteo, and there are some signs there of support being needed for mental health that could be a great opportunity for collaboration between mental health practitioners, osteos and other physical therapists, for example, who can team around that individual's needs. Now, I know it's, it's not as easy as that. There's a few complexities with the way the, the Medicare works and cultural expectations and the like. In the concept of reimagining healthcare, those, those ideas, if we uh, move in that direction, could actually provide a more effective and a more efficient healthcare solution overall for the individual going through that experience as well. What are your thoughts yeah, on that? Definitely. I also think that often if the digital platforms are a way of engaging people and getting that person into care sooner rather than later, and I think that's often the case, is that sometimes I want you to go to your GP and then you need to book a GP appointment to get a referral to go see a psychologist. So what we're doing is, is we're creating timeframes that extend out. If we have a system that allows for a faster way of approaching and connecting in with appropriate professionals so that we can provide the care for that patient as soon as possible, I think that's only a good thing rather than delayed care. This will work in certain situations, but having having collaborative multi-practitioner consultations can be useful. And that already happens obviously within some of the maybe work cover space where you've got, say, you as a patient and you've got a physio uh, or an osteopath and then you've got the GP and you've got the return to work coordinator. Everyone chiming in via this sort of digital approach yeah. means that you've got everyone operating on the same page. We're all working towards common goals for that patient. Again, t- taking away that silo approach that many of us have in this sort of system already. So anything that creates collaboration and a speedier uh, re- approach to healthcare is just a good thing. Yeah, fantastic. What's the workplace health and wellness sector looking like or what will it look like over the next five years? Okay, so in Australia, it's growing. It is a, an expanding space that businesses perhaps are realising that 
isn't just a tick the box situation anymore. It's more we have to adopt this. We need to embrace this, and that's one that'll be because of legislation and requirements around and, and costs. But then also they're understanding that because we're dealing with people, we need to provide this stuff to get the best people and have the best, uh, happiest, productive people in our workplace. So it's a growing aspect, and I think we'll just see growth in certain industries. Some industries are already adopting as well in terms of their culture there, uh, and we'll probably see. An evolution in terms of the service offerings. Traditionally, it used to be, and if you look at a corporate environment, you get some tape, you'll get some chair massages, you'll get like a work health check, uh, you'll get a flu shot, this sort of stuff. So the type of service offerings that they that are deemed to be well-being stuff will evolve a lot, and the platforms will probably become a lot more digital too in terms of those service offerings for those clients across all aspects, uh, which is only a good thing because it's inclusive then. It includes everyone across everywhere rather than just maybe focusing on those people that were in the office and yet you had a small satellite regional office that those people missed out on. It now includes everyone. And, uh, well, look, I agree and I hope it moves in that direction because I think sooner rather than later is better for um, Australians in general. Yeah, Heath, uh, thanks so much, mate. It's been really great to have you along and have a chat. We covered a bit of turf today around your journey and what's happening in the uh, health and wellness sector in the workplace as well. And I really appreciate you uh, making the time and sharing your experience and views on that. Thanks, Heath. Great. Thanks for having me on, Yanni. I really enjoyed it. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.